0: Welcome to the International Civil Society Centre's Futures and Innovation podcast. I'm Thomas Howie, the Communications Manager at the Centre, and today I'm here to present to you a conversation on another burning issue of importance for our sector. Power. Not only power, but how shifting the power within international civil society organisations is of growing importance to them. What is power in an international civil society organisation who can exercise it how does it work? Today, we have a conversation between Ed Boswell, co-founder and CEO at Connor Advisory, and Wolfgang Yarman, executive director of the International Civil Society Centre. The two recently led our Power Shift Lab on the subject of power shift in international civil society organisations. Leaders from international civil society organisations attended the lab where they analyze power dynamics and factors furthering or hindering the shifting of power within their organization. What you're about to listen to is a reflection of that lab and the questions that power raises in an international civil society organization. We hope you enjoy it.
1: Hi, Ed. Great to be connected. Uh, After having not spoken for a week, uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Great
2: to... Great to also speak with you today, Wolfgang. I've really been looking forward to this conversation.
1: Wonderful. So we had a week since we had this uh, wonderful virtual experience, the, um, the Global Government's Power Shift Lab 2.0, which we had to move into the virtual space because of the special situation. So um, when you remember, what were you ex- your experiences facilitating and co-facilitating this lab?
2: thing that has really struck me um, about this experience looking at power shift and governance reform um, is the similarity of issues that we hear from organization to organization. Each one of them is unique. And the other thing that is diverse about this group is that they represent many different governance models, you know, from federations to movements uh, from confederations to unitary organizations. We we, we have virtually seen every, every governance model under the sun represented in these conversations, in these labs. And yet, when we peel back to understand, so what are uh, the issues getting in, in the way of these organizations um, doing a better job of decision-making or execution, making a real impact, uh, we find that regardless of the governance model, the underlying issues are, are very much the same. So that's one thing that uh, I've really taken away from, from this experience.
1: And of course, this community has been working hard over the last two years. So we had two labs, and we had a couple of exchanges and webinars. So over those two years, we talked about power and governance, and power being sometimes even a taboo thing. So what would you say, what's, what has been special in this initiative over power shifts in governance?
2: I think there are a couple of things that, that have emerged for me as, as very special. Uh, you, you mentioned that power is often a term or a concept that uh, many, particularly in this sector, are a little uncomfortable talking about. And I think it's because power is often associated with uh, some negative uh, connotations. It's, you know, associated with, you know, force, root force or, or pressure, or, you know, even maybe <laughs> social violence or whatever to get things done. And yet, um, yet we know that that power is nothing more than the ability to produce intended effects. That's uh, attributed to the great British philosopher Bertrand Russell. And so if power is the ability to produce intended effects, um it's really important to to look look at that first um what 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 you and i have discovered in this conversation with with uh the cso's um who've attended the labs is that often they come in concerned about governance and what do they need to change about their governance model or their governance processes uh and what we've found in in your research and in the dialogue is that even when people make changes to the formal governance it doesn't always really address the issues the cumbersome decision making the poor execution the compromised impact and so i think that what has been special is the ability of these leaders ceos general secretaries board members to come in and go beyond governance and to start looking at some of the underlying power dynamics in their organizations Um, because unless we address those power dynamics, no amount of reform and governance will will make, make the kind of impact that we're looking for. And, and that impact is we're trying to realize our organization's intent. So what we've discovered and what's been reinforced um, for me is this framework that if we start with an organization's intent, we look at how power is aligned or not aligned. With achieving that intent and then we look at how governance can channel that power it can channel it in the way that decisions are made the way that alloc- uh, uh, resources are allocated the way that priorities are, are made um, you know and, and that sort of thing so I think that's been been particularly special for me is that people have been able to get beyond the uh, reluctance to talk about power and to have very open dialogue about the power dynamics in their organizations and how they are either aligned or not aligned with achieving their intent. Yeah. Has that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you, you, you occupy a really interesting perspective Wolfgang, because you've been the leader of international civil society organizations in the past. So you, you've literally walked in their shoes um, as a leader. Um, and so I'm, I'm just curious of the issues that have been raised, whether it's about intent or about power or about governance. Are there, are there any of those issues that have, have resonated with you, um, given, given your experience? And also, I'm curious, were there any issues that came up that kind of
1: surprised you? Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because my predecessor in the center actually spoke to me when I was the secretary general of care a couple of years ago about, you know, how how do we crack this nut? How do we make progress on something that keeps on recurring? Uh, governance reforms and dissatisfaction with governance structures and the like. And I think, you know, we, we kind of jointly with a couple of others, um, move towards this, this very uncomfortable subject of, of power in governance. And that's both formal and informal structures as we all know. And I think the, um, um, the thing that, that surprised me over the, over the last two years, engaging with this uh, very, very interesting group was this, this unconditional willingness to engage in this difficult subject. There was almost a thirst to, to dive deep into things that we too often don't speak about. So rightly so, you said. You know, we had we had CEOs there, we had strategists and planners, we had people who were in charge of organizational evolution. We had a couple of board uh, members or chairs, and we had local partners or local civil society organizations. And one of the common underlying was it a surprise? Definitely, it was a pleasant surprise. Um, um, feature was that yes, they wanted to engage in this, and this also speaks to a fact that we sometimes hear too often. Obviously, international civil society organizations, large ICSOs, uh, are quite a significant factor in the sector. And they're very often accused of not wanting to give up power, not wanting to move, not wanting to let go of their business models. Uh, But I felt uh, the opposite is true, particularly with those who were engaged in our conversations. uh, there was an openness. There was a proactive willingness. There was significant progress on many fronts, even over the last two years. But of course, what um, what also came a bit as a, a bit as an insight or maybe a surprise is that uh, you know the biggest things in the way are real life obstacles. You know whether it's the institutional inertia, whether it's people who have been you know who have decided to to stand in the way. Also some real risks uh, in embracing power dimensions. Um, I think we, we, can, we can assume that uh, if you're too brave and if you're too courageous, it might, it might actually cost you your job um, if, uh, if you challenge too much uh, some of the powers that stand in the way to reach an organizational intent. So that combination of a strong intellectual ability, of a, of a strong will to engage, but also some real-life obstacles, I think, brought a, a very, very interesting dynamic into our discussions.
2: I thought so, too. I thought the leaders were, on the one hand, uh, reaching for boldness, but also grounded in just the practical context, uh, you know, within which they work. You know, one thing that um, surfaced for me also, uh, as as these conversations have continued to evolve over the last year and a half, is that uh, power uh, is not just in the center, it's not just at the headquarters organization or at the national level, but uh, we've heard more and more about power at the grassroots level, at the field level, where the actual uh, work or value is being delivered. Um, And and I found that to be a really interesting evolution in, in our understanding or our appreciation of what power is. It's not always the formal authority uh, coming from the top down, but we've heard more and more in these conversations about the power that resides from the bottom up did did you notice that as well and what, what's your thought
1: yeah, I think one of the deeper insights was really and it was became almost fun to map you know where the power where the power lies in organizations and you know not to be able to present all the findings, but being able to uh, mobilize um, what we call sponsors of power shifts, and at the same time, identify, I think we came to the terminology of spoilers, of those who are literally trying to block and, and, and undermine power shifts, I think was a very fruitful exercise. And like you say, it's not always at the top. It, it might be people with a lot of, you know, strong reputation within an organization, it might be people with a, with an excellent informal network and the like, so I think it's, it's really worth going beyond um, the usual boxes that we're in.
2: I think so, too. Um, someone said at one point that power is asymmetric. That is, you can make the decision, you know, there in Berlin or Brussels or Geneva or London. But at the end of the day, it could be someone in some remote corner of the world who's actually tasked with implementing that decision. And they can say, no, I don't agree so it's an interesting uh, so so that that would be where power could block something on the other hand i think what we're also hearing more and more is about the positive power uh that resides um uh you know on the ground uh, so to speak and i uh, i i get the feeling that more and more leaders are trying to figure out how can we unleash that power as well so it's not just worrying about you know how our constitution is set up and how decisions are made among the national offices, but it's also how do we really um, uh, empower people on the ground? And uh, I I, I found that not only surprising, but actually quite encouraging. Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned a moment ago that you, um, in in your role, uh, have this unique perspective because on the one hand, you've walked in the shoes. You've, You've actually been a leader of some of the very same organizations that have participated in this journey with us. Um, But another aspect of your unique perspective is you're you're the leader of an international civil society organization right now, there uh, at the center, and you have your members, and you've got your governance, uh, both formal and informal, you've got your power dynamics. I'm just wondering, what about these labs um, what, what kind of insights or perspectives have uh, have emerged for you as a CSO leader?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually a wonderful reflection that uh, you give me the opportunity to because I mean obviously we are we are in a space where uh, leaders of the sector have decided to come together, so it's by nature almost a um, positive, affirmative, and and um, forward-looking attitude that people bring when they come to these discussions. Even though they might not resonate with their most urgent priority. As we speak, you know, everyone is trying to get to terms with Corona and, you know, how the poorest of the poor are going to be affected and the likes. So yes, but on the other hand, I think the, um, the opportunities that we have at the center to bring those leaders together to give them space, um, to think ahead and, and to confront in a very, very um, protected and trustful space, um, some of the big uh, challenges out there is an, is an incredible opportunity, not just for us, but I think for everyone who's, uh, who's involved. We are, we are there to make the sector and not just the ICSOs uh, more impactful, more resilient and also more legitimate and the legitimacy question has a lot to do for to whom we are accountable for and uh, turning the accountability from the head to the feet, um, meaning not just being accountable to donors or those who support us, but more accountable to the people we serve, I think is one of those things that that came out very strongly in the lab. And it's something that, um, that we need to push forward and that we're going to push forward. There's, there's one or two kind of obstacles out there. Um, the leaders in the sector that work with us um, do have to deal with operational challenges. And there's also the real risk of um, getting torn or maybe getting pushed into, into revolutionary or dramatic action in a sector that is quite nervous at the moment. So we are aware of some of the, the misdeeds over the last two years uh, with some of the larger ICSOs. Um, we're also aware of increased scrutiny in the sector. And uh, we had quite a number of leadership changes over the last year. And I think that also has to do with um, the nervousness that is out there. So yes, again, real life might come into the way of the right types of ambitions, and uh, the willingness to engage. Uh, So it's something that the center is trying to balance um, and provide guidance as much as we can. Now this is of course an insight uh, from where we stand, but Ed, uh, you've been <laughs> not just consulting the sector, but you've been observing and you've been uh, you've been engaged um, and see uh, things evolving in the sector. Um, so the discussions that we've been having uh, over the last one or two years in this particular exercise, how do they resonate with what you've been seeing over the years and? Uh, and maybe what you're seeing in the years to come.
2: Well, I think some of the circumstances that you just uh referred to all point to the fact that the the sector uh is truly being disruptive. And you know, I think we've been talking about it. Uh we've we've seen early signs probably for the last decade or so, that this um amazing run of success, let's say from the end of World War II until just recently, the 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 growth of civil society, uh, not, not only in terms of their size and, and the money, but the impact, most importantly, the impact that uh, ICSOs have made on the quality of life on this planet. You know, whether it's human rights, whether it's, you know, relief, whether it's development, uh, you know, b- by so many metrics, uh, the success of the organizations has just been astounding. I mean, just unprecedented. And yet, uh, what we're hearing in the labs is that, um, uh, the, the, the world has changed dramatically. Uh, it, in, it, for some of these organizations, it, it's a scandal here or there, or maybe it's a funding crisis, or maybe, um, it's the, 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 the persecution of their staff, you know, on the ground, you know, jailing, killing, kidnapping, and, and all the, so it's such a different environment. And you add on top of that, the uh, perceived uh, level of trust that society has uh, in civil society organizations uh, because of the recent scandals. And so what I'm hearing in these labs is a reflection of what we're seeing across the sector is that this is a sector that after decades and decades of success uh, is now finding itself um, under siege uh, in, in a certain way. And the sector is so good at making changes in the world, but the sector seems to be stumbling a little bit as it tries to make changes within itself, within, you know, individual organizations. So I think that what, what I've been very, um, grateful for in, in these labs and, and the follow-up discussions that we've had after the labs is, um, leaders' willingness to spell out what some of the struggles are, um, in their in their own organizations, and to be willing to support one another as they all explore what are the solutions. It reminds me um, there's there's a metaphor that my partner Daryl Connor uh, uh, coined a few years ago called the burning platform, and it seems like the sector is as a whole on a burning platform. And what we mean by that, you know, it's based on a true story. You've he- you've heard me say this before. It was a one of those offshore drilling rigs that blew up in 1988 off the coast of England in the North Sea. And, you know, it, it, it was and still remains the deadliest such accident uh, in history. It was, it was quite tragic. Uh, and yet some people survived, and they survived to tell about the experience. And there are a couple of aspects of the experience that really resonate uh, with what we believe is going on in the sector. The 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 one part of the story is um, it it was no it, it it was no longer tenable to stay on that oil platform in the middle of the ocean with explosions going off every twenty minutes and and the whole thing engulfed in flame and burning oil and eventually of course it it did collapse into the sea so so the status quo was no longer tenable. Uh, you had to do something. Um, but the other side of the story, and this is the side of the story that sometimes people forget about, is there are some personnel, and there were over 200 people on that rig that night that it blew up. There was some that chose to stay on the rig. And, and we know what happened to them. They did not survive. But there were some that chose to leap off the rig, despite the fact that there was enormous danger in doing that. You know, they were, they were jumping 150 feet, uh, into the ocean at night. The ocean was very cold. So e- even if they survived the fall, they might not survive more than 15 or 20 minutes in the cold water if they weren't rescued. And that's not even to mention they were jumping into water that was, um, uh, on fire because the oil was all over the water. There was debris all over the water. So there were so many risks. And yet some of them had the resolve, the courage to say the status quo is no longer tenable. (laughs) That's certain death. I will choose the the alternative. And I know there are risks, but I'm going to take that leap. And so that's what they've done. And I'm sure that Many people, well, certainly people in our labs, but people across the sector, many leaders are feeling the same way that they're on a burning platform. They're at the edge and they are making that decision. Do, do I take my organization, my donors, my beneficiaries on this leap of faith with me or not? So that's what we're seeing. That's what resonates with me, Wolfgang. How about you?
1: Well, and, and hopefully, you know, despite the fact that we might be on a burning platform, there's there's a little bit more to gain than probable death uh, by jumping off. So, I think the uh, the courage and the optimism that is out there, I think, needs to be embraced. And when I think about um, how do we how do we help um, us understand and embrace and master the future, uh, some of the things that we want to do, particularly around this conversation about power and governance, is to broaden this. To broaden the conversation to additional and new actors, Um, we need to bring more actors into this um, this courageous and and very innovative discussion. And that includes donors, that includes many more people from the global south, um, the people that we work with, that we're trying to serve, um, and also maybe some unconventional or unexpected potential allies out there. So I think we want to build upon the courage that had, that we had within the conversation. Um, we also want to expand and we want to talk real life and not just ideology, because the real life is what matters to people and they, um, they can can much more easily connect to real life questions than ponder uh, about the things that uh, might have to happen. That includes, of course, daring to confront some uneasy facts. And that also means um, starting at home um, and thinking about what role can we all play in making those visions and ambitions materialize. We have a couple of uh, ideas around this. Uh, We will definitely continue the conversation. We might develop satellite labs. We might link up to some of the other exciting initiatives that are out there around PowerShift. But I think one thing I definitely want to make sure, um, and, and look forward to is that the next opportunity that we will have will be another face-to-face opportunity as much as we mastered the virtual space. I think there's nothing, um, better than sitting around a table face-to-face and, and getting closer to each other and discussing the things that we, that we are passionate about, um, as people. So, and, uh, looking forward to have you. Uh, back in one of those uh, places where we sit together and um, bring the sector forward and, um, and move us on.
2: I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: And thanks for the wonderful conversation. Thanks, Ed.
0: Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed that conversation between Ed and Wolfgang. A big thanks to them for their interesting insights. If you're interested to find out more about our work on PowerShift, then please visit our website, which is icscenter.org. You'll find a link in the description too. A big thanks to our producer, Julia Pazos, and we'll see you next time.